I'm thrilled to hold a conversation with Mike Kenny and Melanie Sheets about the work they've been partnering in Ohio to address the impact of the opioid epidemic on families, children, and communities across the state. I know Mike and Melanie via the Family Builders Network, a collaboration of permanency-focused leaders across the country to learn, share, and further the best of what we do. Okay, so what I'd like for you to do each, Mike and Melanie, is uh, how about brief introductions? Melanie, can you just start? Sure. I'm Melanie Sheets, the Executive Director of the Foster and Adoptive Care Coalition in St. Louis, Missouri. How long have you been there? Oh, I've been there for 19 years. 19 so, years. yeah, very, very lucky. And I work with amazing people that make the work just wonderful to do every day. My name is Mike Kenny. I am the co-founder and executive director of Connect, which was formerly known as Waiting Child Fund. And the organization was founded in 2005, so we are 15, going on our 15th year. Wow. So Mike, share a little bit about the background of Waiting Child Fund and its transformation into Connect. Can you kind of share the journey with us a little bit? Yeah, so the birthplace was ultimately funding that was in the Ohio budget to support adoption across county lines was eliminated in 2003. And so that was the impetus for my co-founder, Shannon Dinehart, and I to found the organization. So Waiting Child Fund was the name based on the idea that we were going to raise money to fund the adoption recruitment efforts for individual children. And we spent two years developing the organization, took a leap of faith, quit our jobs, and, and made it our full-time work. And ultimately, we demonstrated some initial success. We had found adoptive families for eight out of 11 children that we worked with initially. And we went back to our funders and said, look what we've done, and aren't you ready to fund more of this? And they said no. And, and that no was a punch in the gut, but was their way of kind of opening their, our eyes to, you know, you're raising $10,000 per child, and you're telling me that there's thousands of children. Uh, we, we're not sure you have the capacity to raise millions of dollars per year. And so there was a scaling issue. There was a capacity issue. There was a sustainability issue. If we were always the outside funder. And so that, that forced us to take a hard look. Mm-hmm. And we, we got some planning grant money. And that's actually how Shannon got to know you, Bob, more closely. She came out and studied CPYP, the California Permanency for Youth Program. And, and we got to do some intentional research and some exploratory research about what could be. And so we then, at the end of that planning grant effort, designed what was called the Summit Permanency Collaborative, which was a public-private partnership where we were invited in by an Ohio county to really partner with them in their permanency work, which was less of a, we will solve this for you, and more of a, how can we increase your capacity to do this work yourselves? Mm -hmm. That was that initial evolution that we went through. Mm -hmm. And so more recently, really have grown in scale from being a mom and pop, sort of in a, in a really tiny office, into a burgeoning kind of office complex where you have not only one large space, but you now you're transforming another. So talk a little bit about what that's been like to transform from this two-person group to now, how many employees do you have? So we currently have 15 employees, mm-hmm. 14 full-time, one part-time. Mm-hmm. They're located all throughout the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. We have nine county partners. We're looking to grow to a total of 15 mm-hmm. in, the, in the coming year. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we were the quintessential kind of garage organization. We worked out of Shannon's basement for five years while she had her first two children during that time. <laughs> I remember... You know, her caring for them upstairs and me working downstairs. I mean, it was very grassroots. 
And then we, we got our first office and transitioned to what is now, to your point, more of a high-functioning nonprofit organization. So I think one of the biggest catalyst moments for all of this was the hiring of an Encore fellow who had 31 years of experience running a nonprofit. And he, he came in and pretty much day one held a mirror up to our faces to say, what you're doing is special. The work you're accomplishing is unique and you should be functioning at a higher level. You should be doing more. I mean, his point was you should be at the highest level. You should be working with the governor of your state. And so he took us through a strategic planning effort that included for the first time outward looking, right? Yeah. Like in, engaging our stakeholders. What do you think of us? And that led to a name change. Yeah. People knew us as the Mike and Shannon show, mm-hmm. not as uh, Waiting Child Fund. Waiting Child Fund meant nothing to them. Mm-hmm. And so we intentionally rebranded to connect in order to not have it be the founder syndrome. Because I think a lot of the net output of the strategic plan and the um, stakeholder interviews was the reality that if one of us got sick or one of us decided to leave, this work would end. Yeah. And that was a big fear of ours. And yeah. we needed to make it about more than just us. Yeah. And so we made intentional efforts to restructure. We changed our job titles. We built policies and procedures that didn't exist. So all of that is to say the growth that we're experiencing right now is not by accident. When our Encore fellow came in, he helped to guide us through an intentional process of setting the table. And now there's a bunch of plates on that table and there's yeah. people sitting around it. Yeah. Um, that table didn't exist before. It was more like a, it was like two people eating around coffee tables. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now we've got a big, giant dining room table that's full. So. Right. So, you know, to continue with that dining room metaphor, as you're meeting more people that can bring food to your table, opportunities get created, right? You start making new partnerships, real, you're seeing more people that you, you have a potential alignment with or and even convincing getting on the radar of people that, that hadn't known about you and you hadn't known about them. So I want to kind of get to the opioid crisis, which is one of the sort of catalyzing events here. And Ohio has, has a fairly serious and documented opioid crisis, especially through its southern region, the pathway of going across the country. What I'd like you to talk about, Mike, is as this crisis was manifesting, and you're reading, and I'm reading about it in California, I'm reading about the constant cry for, we need more foster homes, and we're sending all these kids out of state, and we're in crisis, and oh my gosh, you're here, you're experiencing that. How did that land for you? It all starts with the partnerships we established with our counties and with, throughout the state, where there, there became this recognition amongst us and them that doing really good family finding, engaging families, empowering families, it's what they wanted to do. They just weren't structured to do it. Yeah. The, the empathy that we developed around we could help them, they're just not currently set up, was mm-hmm. an initial birthplace that led to our approach, which is not married to the how. We know there's really innovative, effective programs out there. Not all of them fit every single environment. So a lot of the work we've been doing, again, going back to setting the stage and and setting the table, was queuing up for their own readiness and helping counties reach a moment of clarity around the changes they needed to make. We had that reputation in place. We had those relationships in place and had been developing a relationship with the Ohio Attorney General's office. They contacted us and said, hey, there may be an opportunity for some funding, uh, for some foster parent recruitment. And, and I said, that's, that's exciting. But if I had my choice, yeah. I would implement a program called 30 Days to Family that, 
that I learned about years ago from my friend, Mali Sheets, who's been implementing it, and, and that I think is a better fit for the reality of what's happening. Mm-hmm. That, that the gap in the number of foster families isn't one we're going to close with a recruitment program, but rather we have to change the way we respond to families from the very first moment that their interaction with child welfare begins. And they were receptive to that idea, even though I think a lot of the initial thoughts were about general foster parent recruitment. The recognition was that a different way of operating. And and I guess the other thing I would add is that because of all that setting of the stage, counties were ready for a model like Mm -hmm. 30 Days Mm -hmm. to Family. And many of them Mm -hmm. were, were already actively seeking out information about it. One was already implementing it. So there was there was a thirst on their end. So it was easier to build a case for the AG's office by saying, look, this is what the counties want. It's yeah. what they need. Yeah. And it's what's better for kids and families. And it saves them money. So the case builds itself. Yeah. So you reached out to Melanie. I did. Melanie, what was it like to have Mike text you, call you, email you, all three within five minutes? <laughs> so first of all, it's always lovely to hear from my friend Mike. So that was great. And then he told me what was going to happen, and I was literally sick to my stomach for six to eight weeks. Wow. Literally. I told you that because I don't know of any child welfare program or social services program that has scaled that quickly and has survived. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of great ideas out there, but then trying to make it fit your locale is just something different. And... We had dipped our toe into replication with 30 Days to Family with some other sites to varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. A couple of them, great, one, meh, and two I had to fire mm-hmm. because they just weren't willing to follow the model mm-hmm. to fidelity. Mm-hmm. So um, this had also become an issue for my board of directors mm-hmm. because our mission is to serve children in St. Louis, yeah. not the rest of the country. Yeah. And yeah. we had just come out of a strategic planning process whereby the board was said, okay, Melanie, you can have two out of your 55 staff to focus on the issue of replication, and that's it. And we had just gotten to that point. We're nowhere near ready to think about how we were really going to formalize that, because yeah. it then kind of catches catch can. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about Mike is, and, and is that we have a very open relationship, and I said, this is where we're at. Mike is such a great strategic thinker that after I settled down about after six to eight weeks, <laughs> I realized that this was an amazing opportunity, mm-hmm. that Mike is a wonderful strategic thinker, would help inform our work. Uh, I'm more of a tactical person, and to, that part was great. I ha- Even though I knew Ohio was a county-based system, I was not prepared for the vast differences on how the program would be received, and that part was, it was very interesting to have to figure that out. In the end, this worked out beautifully, but I know we want to go back to the beginning still of the program. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that we'll, later. We'll, we'll get there. But, yeah. but I was curious about that initial kind of experience as you, as you are translating what you learned in Missouri and the success that you created, as well as the two satellite places that you worked in. And, and then your initial experience here, and then we'll talk more about the program design and what you're learning and those kind of things. But what's your kind of a, what was it like when you first landed here I, and just, you started? Just terrifying. I mean, A, it's our baby yeah, at the same yeah, place, yeah, right? Yeah, you've created a national reputation around this, and you know, you have some really positive results that you want to further, right? So the, you, right. Your, your, your heart, soul, and reputation in some ways right. is, is, part of, is on the table. Um, no pressure. 
Well, and <laughs> I didn't want to let Connect down. Yeah. I mean, that was very important to me, sure. right? That right. we all belong as part of the Family Builders Network as a set of peers that we just, we really respect each other. Yeah. And so yeah. didn't want to let him down. Sure. I'm also from Ohio. So, of course, I wanted to help out it's Maya. <laughs> yes. And so um, I did have that pull that, you know, um, I've had quite an interesting journey in my career. I've always known that adoption was going to be part of my life. Adoption is very much part of my family's culture. Everybody except for me is still back in Ohio. So to be able to kind of serve my home state mm -hmm. in a bigger way really pulled at my heartstrings. Okay. So, yeah, between the pulling my heartstrings, so that's my heart, my head, Let's not let it connect down, mm -hmm. and then my stomach, like, whoa, how can we do this? So there you go, there's the full range of emotions. So that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so Mike, you're, you're, put, you're putting this all together, you know, you're getting the Attorney General's approval, you're creating a, kind of a project design. Give us a little bit of an outline of, of what you're intending here in each of the sites, and how much of a range of customization is allowed across the sites versus how much kind of strict fidelity to not only 30 Days to Family, but any of the other aspects that you're implementing to do this work. So yeah, sure. Like? So I think that was one of the strengths that you brought to the table, and by you, I'm pointing at Melanie, we're on the radio. So I, I am more of a strategic thinker, and I think from a tactical standpoint, Melanie entered the relationship with the clear ability to articulate, these are our bottom lines, these are the things we've learned. And so when we started with a process, it was a mutual effort. I think the other thing we're leaving out, um, or have left out so far, is that another partner was Dr. Ann Atkinson, oh, yes. the evaluator who had done a five-year study in St. Louis. So having someone who had that knowledge base mm -hmm. was a huge influence mm -hmm. on us, yeah. and, and I quickly learned to value her, and Melanie had a long history there. But I think the development of the seven kind of bottom lines that we had mm -hmm. was critical, and we both, Melanie and I, conducted webinars for prospective counties, and I think we started with 29 counties, mm. and then we did our way down to uh, maybe 19 that attended, and of those, and those 29 initially were helped identified by state folks. So we really took a collaborative approach to say, who are the counties that fit a matrix of readiness, need, and capacity to implement? I mean, that was our our kind of triad that we were looking at. But then we both shared the process together because. We had the knowledge and the relationships. Melanie had the deep experience of the model and of the experience of trying to replicate successfully and with challenges. So we both participated in webinars for counties. We narrowed it down to ultimately 10 or so who made an application. But that application was also done in such a transparent way that was open. No, it, there was no secret web form where you submitted and found out later. This wasn't like that. Right? This was a conversation that took place over the sure. course of about six weeks. And by the time we got to the nine counties that we launched with, they knew, we knew, there was a, a, a recognition. And, and I think that recognition is one that we've relied on over the, the last nine months when things have gotten tough. Because it's one thing to have issues come up and have it be the first time discussed. It's another to say, look, this is what we warned you about. And it's, you know, we can warn you, but now it's happening. And how are we going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. So I think the process that we used was highly effective mm -hmm. in selecting the counties and launching the counties. And the last thing I'll say on, on your, your question is, Melanie wasn't maybe as prepared for the county nuances. I was not prepared for how long it would take them, despite their eagerness and willingness and commitment, just to get stuff up and running. I mean, I am a doer, mm -hmm. so like 
get the computer, get the software, like what is going on? And so even just, you know, contracts taking four months when there's no exchange of money, stuff like that, that, that I think unfortunately is the reason a lot of our kids and families struggle is because those bureaucratic things get in the way of, of good practice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and then there's, there's that part. And then there's the, what we from Missouri didn't know that we wouldn't even guess. So, I mean, Facebook, you don't have Facebook. What? I mean, <laughs> that's our biggest search tool, you know, sure. and it didn't even occur to me that those kinds of things, um, and we have them pop up still every once in a while now, and that's been an advantage, though, being in nine different counties in Ohio, that we're seeing nine different ways of doing mm. things, mm. so that we're bringing on additional sites, hopefully we'll have a, a fewer surprises. Just the last thing I'd like to say to kind of bring it back to our earlier conversation was when I got that call from Mike, and you know, once we decided yes, we were going to go down this road, um, I said to him now, and I will con then I will continue to say now. I mean, Connect is the only organization in the country that I would ever trust with my baby, right? We will always be involved somehow, some way with other agencies that we replicate. It's sure. our goal to leave Connect with this model whole cloth. Of course, continuing to collaborate down the road and have shared learnings, but. Yeah, they're just—they're a very special and unique organization to do this work. Thank you. It's true. Well, and I think any good partnership has natural cycles to it. So I also, my vision, because you asked that question earlier on about vision, is we get to a place of independence, but then you and I are like, what's next? Like, I can't wait to get that, I can't wait to get that call from you, you know, where it's like, I got, I got funding, or I got the idea. <laughs> I mean, we're a little ways away from that, but it's still. That's all right. It's always good to dream. You started with 29, you ended up kind of creating the shared dream with not. Now other funding has come through. It's coming through or come through? An hour and a half ago, an yes, some additional ago, funding which, came which through. Which you found out? <laughs> uh, via a press release, yeah. Via a press release. <laughs> Always nice to read about your future in a press release. So now you'll be able to expand that to... We're looking at adding six counties. Six more. Yeah, and in, in a unique way. I think a lot of the lessons learned have taught us Right now, those nine counties each have at least one 30 days to family specialist in that county mm -hmm. doing, doing the work. Mm -hmm. And this is something I haven't mentioned yet, but is important for folks to know, which is that many counties are so invested that um, they've added their own specialists. Yeah. So the larger metros in particular, one of them has a unit of four, another plans to add two whole units okay. of 30 days to family specialists, an unintended opportunity that neither of us could have guessed that right. counties would kick in their own workers, yeah. right? This is a grant funded program. We thought it would start and end there. Yeah. The point is we, we plan to add counties, particularly in the rural communities where maybe those specialists are serving multiple counties sure. um, because that's, you know, to go back to your opening about the opioid impact, a lot of these smaller counties, especially in Ohio, which is a levy based state, where it's basically 50-50. Half the counties don't even have a levy and aren't able to fund innovations, aren't able to fund creative solutions. And that has a direct impact on length of stay, well-being of children. And so we're really trying to be responsive to those counties that are, are more strapped yeah. than others. If you work or live in Ohio, you understand the levy-based system. Most of the people outside of Ohio have no idea when you say levy-based. Sure. So just give us a, just a quick 101 on what does levy-based mean and how does that impact, especially services to, to families, kin, etc. So there's three ways you pay for child welfare, federal money, state money, and then local money. Right. 
if Ohio doubled its investment at the state level, we'd still be dead last. So we are automatically struggling or strapped from the state level. From a county level, county child welfare agencies have to campaign and put on the ballot a levy for funding for their budget. Much of that is operating budget for basic services to families and children. So if you think of it from a binary standpoint, if you don't have a levy, you're often not meeting the basic services to your families and children. It is that simple. And so one of the counties that we're looking at exploring adding with said to us, we don't have a levy, we have one and a half intake workers. We can't afford to meet the needs that we're seeing on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And to have people that have chosen a profession where yeah. you're, you're, nobody's getting rich doing child welfare, to then not be able to even just meet basic needs. I'm not doing this story justice, but this was just a couple days ago, and, and the, the agony I felt in their voices of day-to-day, -day, I mean, these were people who had worked at this agency for 32 years and 41 years, respectively, mm -hmm. who had put their entire professional careers into a profession or into a service to the, 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 the people in their community who are struggling the most, the most vulnerable children in their community who don't have the basic resources because they don't have funding from a local source. And, you know, there was a study done that demonstrated the length of stay impacted and that if you had all three of the funding sources, then the length of stay was around 150 days in care. Mm -hmm. If you only had federal funds and weren't, didn't have flexible money, the average length of stay was around 800 and so days in care. Mm -hmm. So to have funding be the reason a child languishes in foster care is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's shift. Now you started, right? When, when did you actually first kick off the delivering service to kids? Pick a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. We, we, are, we are telling folks, because it's the truth, but we're telling folks that, I mean, really July 1st is when all nine counties okay. were up and running. Okay. I think... Hamilton maybe was the last county that took their first case August 1st. Mm -hmm, so it's the right. July-August time frame. Okay. Okay. And, and when you think about replication implementation, to go from, we got awarded the funds in late October, to go from notification of awards to hiring and fully staffing nine counties and an entire support team in what accounted to be, you know, nine months was, was pretty, ten months was pretty phenomenal. It is amazing. And yeah. I will laugh at you for something, though. Yeah, so. please, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it was that connects, but I, I remember there was a lot of kind of buildup of your team, October, November, December, and then we were asked, okay, put together a training calendar for January, February, <laughs> we're going to get everybody trained. I'm like, uh, no, that's not how it's going to work. Because hiring a 30 days to family specialist, yeah. I mean, it's such a unique skill set. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take us months to hire the people, which turned out to be beautiful. Right. Because then count, we were able to launch counties one after yeah. another after yeah. another. Yeah, so we know now. But that's also, I mean, honestly, that's a good part of our partnership. I'm like, it's going to take us a month. You're like, it's going to take you three, but give it a go with one. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like that. That's, yeah. a, that's a good, yeah. yeah. Yes. So in future replication, I've decided that I have to have a relationship with the leader of the agency that I'm defining as a what-the-hell relationship. So just, you know, I'll do something that's boneheaded, they'll do something that's boneheaded, and, but we just have that level of trust that works. Yeah. And I know that my team in St. Louis feels very strongly that this will be the best replication uh, experience that we have. Yeah. We're just started Parsons, New York, 
yes, last week in DC this week, mm -hmm. and and I don't have those kinds of relationships, and those will be the last organizations we bring on where I don't have this kind of a relationship. Just it's too hard otherwise. So it sounds like there's been some key accomplishments and key learnings so far. And one of the accomplishments I heard you say is you're really proud of kind of up and launching from delivery of money, which was pretty quick. Like you didn't have a long onset planning, right? It was just like, here comes the money, get to it. And so then you start, you know, I'm going to hire in 30 days. Well, you know, 30 times three, whatever that looks like. So what else are you most, most proud of? What is what are the significant accomplishments so far in your partnership? Well, let's start at the end where counties are are having incredible success rates. Great. I mean, it's it is amazing how very very well that they've embraced it, and there's a lot of celebration happening. And so, the fact that we're there now, I never would have thought. I mean, I would have thought we'd been another year in. I agree. I think. I think starting with the kid and family successes, I think um, every success story that comes across my desk is fuel for all the installation kind of blood, sweat, and tears. Mm -hmm. So I think that as well, I mean, really, just I need to take a moment and celebrate, like implementing and installing in nine different counties. And we yes. intentionally selected ones that were small and medium and large. So, I mean, we're working in sure. environments where you're literally talking about an agency that has 800 frontline social workers mm -hmm. versus an agency that has six. Mm -hmm. And I'm not being dramatic. I mean, those are, those are different so cultures, yeah, yeah. kids in care, but you know, but the ability to say, yeah, but the need for connection and the need for um, consistent re response to that immediate crisis is what is so unique. And yeah. so they spent, and that I think is also another big accomplishment that I would like to highlight, which is they, there was about 30 or so people that spent all day today at a shared learning community. In Ohio, you would think that the county lines were the end of the world. You know, getting them to cross and collaborate. Everyone's got their own budget, everyone's got their own culture, but yet they came together today to talk about what do we collectively have to do as a group to improve our practice. And that is gonna live well beyond Melanie and I mm -hmm. when done right, right? right? The peer-to-peer -peer learning, the investment, and the belief that we can always be doing better. You know, that to me is a really big accomplishment. Super. I can tell you a huge strength is that the individuals that I've had the pleasure to meet in Ohio, I mean, of course, Mike and Shannon and their staff, and in most particular, the county-based staff are amazing. I mean, a level of professionalism that I've not seen anywhere else around the country. And it's just a really, really, really deep bench. And so just kind of the hope for that longevity, I mean, I, I've had a lot of hope for that. I'll do some tactical things and you do yeah. some strategy things. Sure. How's that? We'll, we'll live in our lanes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Tactically, what we would do is we would go out and do a two-day training or an all-day training for the counties and then, okay, we'll start calling you afterwards. And that totally didn't work. So what we realized early on was that people really needed to see in St. Louis the work being done. Because mm -hmm. it sounds good, yeah. but then to see it as a whole different thing. So yeah. we started with, if, if you're ABC County, mm -hmm. you would come out, mm -hmm. spend two or three days with us, mm -hmm. um, half of that in training and half of that shadowing. So you go to court, you knock them on doors, right? The whole thing, meet grandma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and then 
we send you back mm -hmm. to your ABC County mm -hmm. and then we'd call you. That didn't work out well either. Because people just weren't like kind of getting it. Sure. Because there's just so much complexity to yeah. it. So then we finally decided, and this is what's worked, that when you go back to ABC County, you're going to call us the second you get your first case. We're going to hop on a plane, fly out, and spend the first 48 to 72 hours with you. And that was the magic the magic thing that had to happen. And what we found was the amount of time that it took us to train someone really was reduced very quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot more work on the front end, but certainly on the back end has had many, many dividends. In terms of other lessons learned, Stephanie on Mike's staff was right. I fought and kicked and screamed against it. This is what the hell stuff about, you know, we had our training and our training was our training and she provided it up and Stephanie's like, it's got to be modulized. I'm like, it doesn't have to be modulized. <laughs> and they were like, darn it, she was right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're doing that. Um, I know that Mike's staff has asked for more training for coaches and supervisors. I'm still wrestling with that, to be quite honest, and how the difference between just really get an understanding of the program, darn it, is different than kind of bringing some additional um, knowledge to that. So we're working sure. on that right now. Uh -huh. There are lots of other little little tiny ones, but those are kind of examples of the big ones. Okay. I just want to respond to yeah. the first barrier or challenge and the response to that, because I think you take it for granted, but because it's just in your blood, it's in your DNA. You're a barrier buster. You're a, what did you say to me yesterday? You're a case-based advocate. Mm -hmm. that, that, that your lens and the culture that you have at the coalition is based on what will it take in order to make this possible, in order to make this effective? What will it take? And then let's figure out how to do that. And, and I, I think that's really unique in that if I said to any other collaborative partner, look, we're having challenges with day one. What can we do? I guarantee you they'd give me a list of 20 other things before they said, I'll just have my person fly out for the first case. I mean, that's a rare response to have the first thing. I put money and staff time and an inconvenience I got to imagine to Patrick's life to fly out to nine different counties when they get their first case and counties who have multiple workers. So I think that also speaks to yeah. the commitment that is pretty unique and pretty special. And I think strategically, one of the biggest lessons learned was, you know, we all got in a room, Bob, you were there at the beginning. We got in a room and we designed this. Mm -hmm. And we designed it based on years of experience, but we also made it up. Mm -hmm. this, is what, this is what we think. Yeah. But we didn't build in because we were so focused. So we had our heads down. We were grindstoning, you know? And so we were focused on computers and software and hiring, right? And, and then I looked up and realized we didn't reassess the structure between our two organizations. So even as recently as the last few days, we've been talking about the need to restructure some of those relationships mm -hmm. that either A, were intentionally created, and maybe they're not the right fit now, or B, just happened naturally mm -hmm. and unintentionally. And they've created some day-to-day -day challenges mm -hmm. that need to be addressed. But you know, I'm, I'm confident we're going to work them out because of that repeatable process, but it was an unanticipated barrier mm -hmm. of not creating um, checkpoints, even between maybe the two of us or between the team, to stop and say, is this the right structure mm -hmm. for our partnership? Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of took, some, I, I, I'm speaking I words, but um, I took that for granted that, mm -hmm. that this, will, this will be what we need moving forward, so. Well, I think that's just because that's how we roll, but you're right. We can definitely slow down next time <laughs> for a minute and a half. Sure. Yeah, um, I would say another um, strength 
that our agencies have brought to the table is uh, frequent check-ins. Mm. So, look, our communication can always improve. Okay, so sure. I'm not saying it's perfect. Our kind of our supervisory director level staff connects every Monday. We as a leadership team connect every Wednesday. I have to admit, I'm a real pain in the butt. I just insist that they happen. But Mike and I, need, I know I miss everything. Or not every, I know I miss some things if I'm not just forced, again, to slow down for a minute and just focus on this. Sure. So I think that's been a good thing. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and I, I gave a talk recently where I referenced that request of we need to talk weekly. And there have been at least, I don't know, you tell me, four times where we've come kind of sheepishly like we were thinking <laughs> maybe we could scale it back to every other week and Molly's like mm, no and, <laughs> and, and I and I've learned to appreciate that because what it does when you when you intentionally carve out space to discuss the good bad and the ugly you discuss the good bad and the ugly when you mm. when you let things go and you and you only touch base once a month instead of once a week then you gloss over things how are things been like good Versus, I'm incurring this, and we need to address it. You know, and so regularly coming to the table, it's it's not unlike I'm just going to stick with the dinner table analogy. It's like if you have dinner together once a week, or I mean once a day, every day, then you regularly stay in tune. How are you feeling? You don't look the same as you normally look. What's going on with you? But if you only get together for dinner every couple weeks, you, there's a disconnect, mm -hmm. right? And then you have to re reacquaint each other, right? Or reacquaint with each other. We don't do that. There's no reacquaint. There's not a lot of mm -hmm. like, hey, what have you been up to? I know what you've been up to because mm -hmm. we regularly are in touch. Yeah. And I think that the reason for that, which I appreciate, and maybe the staff don't always so much, yeah. but, but I do, is that the stakes are too high with this. Yes, they are. The stakes are too high with the magnitude. And, and I think that goes back to that original phone call and request. Your gut was saying to you, oof, this is too big. We can't, this can't be a I'll see you every once in a while kind of thing. This is, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've appreciated your insistence and <laughs> those calls. Well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always love them. Yeah. <laughs> That is so honest. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we actually one time ended up going three weeks without a call. Mm -hmm. oh, well, we missed two weeks in a row, right? And so it was the third week. And it turned out to be the most negative call we had because there was so much stuff that we had to take care of. Exactly. Exactly. So we got back on track. For goodness. So I'm curious about how are you being stretched as a program, as people? What's stretching you? So I will start. Mike should have a long list tonight. <laughs> yeah, stretch arm. Exactly. My challenge was that I was charged with our board to go out and figure out how we're going to make this bigger replication work. Yeah. And I realized that I was cut put. And this is beyond Ohio, mm -hmm. okay? Because hopefully we'll be published soon. And when we're published, we know just the barn doors are going to fly off because. Not only does this program work, but it also saves money. Right, and we don't have right, too many of those. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because it's much more fun to talk to one of my donors or, you know, to help one of my families. Sure. So um, I finally realized I wasn't going to do it. And so there was a young man who worked for us from 2008 to 2010 as one of our extreme recruiters. Mm -hmm. He um, then left us to go to India to start foster care. Wow. He did it. He came back um, very shortly ago with a beautiful wife and a child, and uh, he's still doing his international work, but was um, kind enough to come work for us. And so wow. I took a chance to be a very conservative finance committee, which I love, 
But I took a chance and said, look, this is part of our strategic plan. It's going to cost us some money. I'm not getting it done. You know I'm not getting it done. Um, and the finance committee said yes. And so his name is Ian Forber Pratt. Um, he's got a brain like Mike's, just super big, and um, is really going to help us figure out how to get more replication out the door while still maintaining um, just truth to our mission. Okay. That's, 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 that's a big plan. stretch. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be good. Yeah. You have to meet them. You'd love them. Okay. You guys definitely speak the same language. Uh, My stretch is in the form of four different elements, which I can go through quickly. One, I have a staff, many of whom are learning child welfare, connect, and 30 days to family at the same time. Yeah. And so to be in a new job and be learning all of that requires a lot of attention and sensitivity and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, the organization has gone from 2 to 15 mm -hmm. in a 12-month period, so there's a tremendous amount of just HR operational, you know, we've had some turnover already, mm -hmm. and how do you message that, mm -hmm. you know, and so um, that's that's a, a big stretch. I think myself as a leader, I think that I um, loved to learn about practice. I'm a I like to tell stories. I like to have those stories be first person. I like to facilitate youth-centered meetings. I like to help workers yeah, solve yeah. their problems. Yeah. I don't have time for that anymore, and that doesn't yeah. feel good for me from a reward standpoint. Um, and so trying to stay connected to the work is a stretch for me mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And I think also just learning to be a leader in ways around providing supervision where I'm not uh, over-associating with problems and solving, but rather mm -hmm. coaching them in thinking about, right? Um, because Shannon and I have 12 years, 13 years worth of institutional knowledge and experience that we built up that I just take for granted. And I don't take it for granted anymore because I'm like, oh, they don't, this, this crew doesn't know necessarily how to tease out these challenges. Yeah. They see yeah. them. And, but, but I have also a tremendous amount of empathy because it takes me right back mm -hmm. to 2008, 2009 yeah. when right. I was like, why is this happening? This doesn't, <laughs> like, how could I possibly run through this wall only to now see there's three doors in this room. I could leave this room. I didn't realize it was another way to look at this challenge. So, it, it, you know, it's stretching me in different ways, all ways that I'm enjoying, and, and I'm sure I'll come out the other side that much stronger for it. Absolutely. Lord knows if you can be that transparent to all the people who are going to listen to this podcast. They're going to be just fine. Don't judge me, people listening to this podcast. <laughs> Strength and vulnerability. I'm curious that what if you've had to make any ad un, unforeseen adaptations to what you originally designed based upon nine different places of implementation? Um, I'll let you answer that part, Mike, but I will say this. We just, and still to this day, take so much for granted on how we have done the model and yeah. have been completely surprised at what is necessary, what is not necessary, even questions being asked. So, sure. for example, one county wanted to know, we have a had, we have a certain way we were doing genograms. Yeah. And when we first were training on it, we're like, yeah, everybody kind of does genograms their own way, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Well, that was a terrible message to share, yeah. because in St. Louis, that means there's like 1% deviation, right? <laughs> and so we had to kind of make a decision, you know, what is, what is required and what is not. And yeah. unfortunately yeah. for the counties, I, I'm sure that feels very frustrating to them, sure, sure. right? And so, and like I say, we just had a couple examples come up last week that we're still figuring out. 
yeah, that's just kind of where we are today. And I unfortunately feel like we're still going to be there a little bit when we go into the new counties. Mm -hmm. Now, by this time next year, I don't foresee us having those kinds of questions. Yeah, I'm, really, I'm always really curious about that balance of making adaptations to fit the culture and then holding on to fidelity and helping the culture make the adaptations. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. always going to be a blend in there, right? And it's like certain certain things you're not going to let go of mm -hmm. as the purveyor, right, mm -hmm. of the service. You're going to make sure that, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to to help them learn and adjust, but I know that I can't let go of these components because they're essential. Mm -hmm. And then there's other stuff about I can get there the same way by by helping them see it by the, by making these adjustments and I can I can move there and so I'm curious about for both of you is there an example of one of those where you had to hold the line when folks said no we already know how to do this and you're like yeah but we're going to do it this way and then if there's stuff where you had to help a, a rural county do something different than a, a very large urban county and just their their structure, their courts, or whatever was present in their environment required that kind of adaptation. Mm -hmm. I would say that 30 Days of Family is unique in that it is such a short-term intervention, mm -hmm. right? And I've been surprised at the things that, I mean, I came up with a list of things that we would not change, mm -hmm. and I've been surprised of the things that I've added. But mm -hmm. I think it's only because it's such a short-term intervention mm -hmm. If it were extreme recruitment, for example, I would be much more open to things. But um, can you think, Mike, of a time when we just... Well, a lot of it was little things and preferences that maybe they were used... Counties were used to being able to say, well, we get this need met in another way. So, like, there's a list of software. You have to have Geno oh, Pro. Yeah, you have yeah, to have yeah. Facebook. Those were some early on areas where they wanted to get a little work around. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what was good about those, while they were painful going through them, they were a way of saying to them, this, is, this model is going to challenge your, your current status quo. It's going to challenge your thinking of, well, it's okay. We don't have to worry about that. And, and it, it, what it says to you is, no, you have to worry about all of it. You have to find all the people, not some of the people, all the people. <laughs> and you have to have a backup plan. And a, and a backup plan to the backup plan, and you have to worry about school, and you have to worry about therapy, and you have to worry about all of the things, because you have two cases for 30 days, and we want that family to be as supported as possible. And if you take a mindset of, well, we'll worry about that later, that's when you find yourself six months right. in, kids right. still in foster care, oh, we'll worry about it later. This model says, no worry about it later, worry about it today. Mm -hmm. And so what it demonstrated to leadership was, no, you have to get Facebook access or you can't take your first case. Mm -hmm. Now to program staff, they're like, this is crazy. We got, you know, 19 out of 20 things checked yeah. and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're telling us, you know, at, at the coalition that we can't take a case because they don't have Facebook. Mm -hmm. But it was symbolic to this is how this model operates. You have to check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And so those were examples, I think, of where adaptations were symbolic. Mm -hmm. in many ways, mm -hmm. but also effective practice down the road. Because what we know in child welfare systems is worry about it later is code for worry about it never, right. or wonder how it never happened, or wait until there's turnover. So in, in those realities where I was willing to say, nope, this is a good bottom line that we're crossing, or that we're, that we're um, drawing, is, is if, we, if we allow this to happen, it sets a precedent that, we, that, that it's a slippery slope. Yeah. That, 
Now, on the other hand, what Connect did a beautiful job at was, each, of course, each county system has their own way of children entering foster care right, right. And, and how those processes work. So you guys were wonderful in finding ways to work with the different counties of mm-hmm. what is the point of entry, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was beautiful to watch. So, I mean, hopefully that... Yeah. Answers that question in terms yeah, of the absolutely. differences rule. Because there's a difference in the child welfare system in St. Louis versus in Cincinnati, Cleveland, right. or some of the rural counties, right? I mean, That's right. Those, those things are inevitable. Well, and there, and for a couple counties, I remember there was definitely a back and forth between our our um, the, our staffs, our staffs about um, you know, well, do you think this county would be willing to let this entry point yeah. instead, kind of a thing? So I feel like probably six or seven of them were no yeah. brainers, but we were able to work together to figure out the remainder. All right. Well, let's move towards wrapping up. I want to I want to check in with you about what 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 would success look like at the end of this endeavor. Is there an end? No. <laughs> it's a CQI mentality. We're always improving. So, I mean, from uh, the coalition's point of view, I mean, our goal is to have Connect be the one and only franchisee. <laughs> then, and, and we'll be working in other areas. I mean, I don't know if we'll, uh, we'll ever find another Connect. If we do, then mm-hmm. we would work with them in that way, too. But, I mean, the question for you is, what is it, man? Is it all 88? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I think that um, what makes us unique as well, so when you talk about success, is cultivating a readiness for those who, because there are many counties who aren't ready to implement 30 Days to Family. And so how do we get the needs of those kids and families met while also developing readiness for this front door intervention? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, success would be, because the other thing we haven't mentioned yet that I think is important for this audience to know is that we were... We were guaranteed two years of funding. Mm-hmm. And so our initial model was we're tracking cost savings. Counties had to commit. Mm-hmm. One of those seven bottom lines was reinvesting and yeah, paying yeah. for this position. Yeah. So I just want to say so that I don't do what I always do, which is shoot for, shoot for the stars, is if we had these nine counties at the end of two years that were self-sustaining, funding the positions, doing 30 mm-hmm. days to family work, that is success, yes. mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. If we add six counties in the coming year who are sustainable as well, that is success. But if we can create a culture where they own this model to high fidelity, they invest in solutions, and then they themselves develop the next solution, the next iteration Mm -hmm. for whatever this model, whatever, whoever's slipping through these cracks, that Mm -hmm. they pick that right Mm -hmm. back up. So to me, success is implementation of this program to high fidelity with sustainability and a culture amongst our partners that is ready for that next, what's next mentality. Mm -hmm. He says good words. <laughs> um, kind of wrapping up, any any other thoughts you want to share, surprises? I want to thank you for being on the ground floor of all of this. My goodness, if it hadn't been for that original meeting, and Maureen, of course, was in the room, and PCSAO, and mm. we surely would not have been as far along if, if you weren't willing to provide your expertise. So thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing, and you're probably going to be mad at me for what I say. But for those of you listening, um, Bob has been a mentor of mine and friend and colleague for 
say at least the last seven or eight years, but at each phase of my own professional development, asked the right questions, challenged me in the right way, and, and I count on you for that. So I just want to I want to thank you for circling back. I look at this conversation as a chance to just take stock of the important people and, and to celebrate success and acknowledge challenges. But I appreciate all the guidance that you've provided me. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. And yeah, I'll be mad at you, but we'll do that later. <laughs> um, so that wraps it up. Thank you very much, Mike and Melanie. And we'll look. We'll check back with you in a year or so and see how it's going. Yeah, that'll be fun. Next all year right. this time. Okay. <laughs> all right.